Hi, I'm Mark O'Brien, writer, director, and star of The Righteous, and you are listening to ContraZoom. is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. Today we're taking a break from Oscar talk to talk instead about some awards closer to home for us, and that is the Canadian Screen Awards, which announced the nominees for the 10th edition of their ceremony. For anyone not aware, Canada used to have two different awards, Gemini's for television work and Genie's for film. Then in 2013, they merged to award one award for all screen work, which includes film, TV, and digital. The Streamline Awards have united the Canadian industry and helps everything make sense under one umbrella. Today, we're going to talk about some of the movies that are nominated, which means no TV shows like Kim's Convenience, Transplant, Letterkenny, or Murdoch Mysteries will be talked about today. If you like what we talk about, the Canadian Screen Awards for movies will be handed out on April 8th. We will likely devote some time on a future episode to talk about some of the winners. How are you doing today, Rachel? Good, thank you. How did you, did you, like, how do you feel about the fact that they put the two together and then just called it the Canadian Screen Awards? Like, they went from really two, like, two really fun, distinct names, and then they just went with a really boring amalgamation name. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I I like that it's kind of all combined. I always got confused between Geminis and, and Genies. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell the difference before. I have seen a, oh, I I think a genie award in person before uh, I, I'm forgetting where it was. I was at someone's house and, Oh, and I, I, I was either visiting someone or something like that. And they had one. And so I picked it up. I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, Cause it was the, it was the one that was like shaped like uh, the profile of a face, which <laughs> I probably should have researched what this was. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I know who it is, but I'm not going to say it on air. I can tell you afterwards of, uh, of who I think it, it was the owner of it. Um, is but, the the profile of the face? I thought that was the Gemini award. Maybe that's a Gemini because like, it's like two thing. Like that would make sense. You know, that would make right? a lot of sense. Yeah, I always like the two. I thought that they. I, I understand why they did it. And it does make more sense. Like the Canadian industry, I don't think is big enough to really warrant two. Um, but I did like how they called them, like the genie and the Gemini. Mm-hmm. I always thought that that was a fun name, and then or names a. Um, but then you put it together and it's just like a really boring Canadian screen awards. They seem to, I, I think the rationale from them is two things. One, it kind of makes it sound closer to the Oscars because mm-hmm. like their website is theacademy.ca. That's the official website yeah. for the Canadian screen awards. So they're already trying to like invoke a similar prestige group title yeah. name that the Oscars have, which is the Academy Awards. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think also having it sort of together sort of unites everything. And, and I know like in the past, there's always been a, well, they're a TV actor. They're not a movie star sort of thing. And there's like yeah. this, sort of a class division, which is hilarious. And Especially so today. More, That's funny. Yeah. And, and so I think they're trying to eliminate that a little bit, but interestingly enough, the, the, the TV portion does not include French work because they have their own French TV awards, but the movies include any language. It could be any language spoken. It doesn't have to be French or English. It could be uh, any number of indigenous languages, not in English, not, not not one of our official languages at all, anything at all, whereas the television stuff is strictly English language only. That's quite funny. I didn't yeah. realize they did it that way. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that like Quebec would do their own I guess it's not technically just Quebec because you could, there's parts of Ontario that are, um, they speak French as well, but yeah, that that's a little bit surprising that they would do it that way, but not at all at the same time because French Canada is very, um, I think 
like justifiably very precious over their culture. And yeah. I don't think that that's necessarily a wrong thing, but they do like to separate themselves from the rest of Canada quite yeah. often. Um, that's, that's funny though. I wonder if they'll eventually ever change that, like specifically, maybe not necessarily taking away from um, the French Canadian TV shows, but because I know like they actually have a good amount of TV over there. That's quite good. Like specifically to Quebec, which I always mm-hmm. found interesting. Um, but I wonder if they'll open it up to like non English, non French, you know, like different types of yeah. um, television. But I, I suppose that would just go with the growth of the TV industry of Canada. Like that would need to come first. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, like, as we're going to discuss later, you don't really need to have seen a ton of movies to have in order to see a bulk of the ones that are nominated. And so if you're, <laughs> if you're in the movie side, nominating movies, you really probably can get away with watching about 20 movies in a given year and be like, I've seen, you know, the 20 best Canadian films, so to speak. Whereas TV is so different because you'll have, you know, mini series in made for TV movies in one off specials in entire seasons and stuff like that. And you're already probably having to spread yourself pretty thin. I imagine the people that vote on things are, are probably a little more specialized. Like in my mm-hmm. other line of work, I am uh, a jury member for the East Coast Music Awards and I get told what categories I'm voting on. Um mm-hmm. And so I imagine it's sort of the similar thing where it's like, hey, your your purview is comedy. So you only have to watch comedy shows. But still, that's a lot to be able to it cover. It is a lot, yeah. Because, you know, we joke about how the Canadian industry isn't that big. But that's kind of a lie. You know, we've, we've got a whole bunch of channels. They all have to meet a certain requirement of Canadian content produced. And if you are if, if you start including digital content as well, like, it, it's crazy. There's like um, like 100 different categories in the television series. Like it's, it's crazy the amount, if you look up the, all the different nominations, because it includes stuff like sporting events and news programs and documentaries and, and and all that sort of stuff. And so like, once you start to get real nebulous, like reality competition, reality lifestyle, all that. But then, I mean, they could, they could streamline that, I suppose. But this also makes me think about, yeah, no, this makes me think about though, like, I, I can't remember how many years ago this was now, quite a while ago, I think. There was talks about Rogers, Bell, I believe Shaw over on the uh, West Coast. And am I missing any of the big ones? Rogers, Bell, Tellus? Shaw. Maybe, I actually don't think Telus was involved in this. Um, uh, sorry, for cable specifically. Oh, and Cineplex. <laughs> Um, and Cineplex, they were about to come together and to make a Canadian streaming service. Um, and probably, I, I would assume CBC would have had a big hand in it as well. Um, and they were going to come together and do a streaming service that was meant for Canada. And it was going to, you know, I, I always thought it was such a good idea because one, it's maddening having to subscribe to so many different subscription services. So I feel like when you had those big players together, like those big um, telecoms together, you would get the majority of the licensing uh, shows and movies that you're looking for, especially if you get Cineplex on board. Then it fell through because, you know, companies are idiots and whatever. Um, But I always thought if they had done that, I wonder if they would be able to pump out even more Canadian film and more Canadian TV, because if you have like a single source for it, you, you would get more eyeballs on it and it would be a lot easier to promote it rather than, you know, like we were just talking about Quebec. Like I, I would love to watch more Quebec television. One, I don't have cable anymore. Um, but two, it's like, I don't even really know where to begin with it sometimes. So if it would have been, I think a real boon to Canadian film and TV, if had they gone through with something like that, but Mm -hmm. obviously we can't have nice things. And so we have to stick with crave plus all the American stuff, which is like, yeah, it it sort of reminds me of probably what like, hulu was at the start in the u.s because mm, yeah it was a a whole bunch of the companies kind of agreeing mm-hmm. to like a piecemeal of like okay we'll, we'll yeah we'll share our shows a little bit yeah now and it's, it's basically just Disney. their own yeah well now and now it's just cable again basically yeah. is what we're saying but that's a discussion for another day <laughs> yeah but yeah, normally there there are some films that get nominated that will sort of like make you tilt your head and say, I didn't know that was a Canadian film. Like there'll be stuff like The mm. Nest, which starred Jude Law, or The Breadwinner, which was uh, a cartoon saloon movie, which is from Ireland. 
of recent years that got nominated for Canadian Screen Awards. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think the closest thing that we have this year is maybe something like The Night of the Kings, which was a movie that was actually submitted by the Ivory Coast for the Oscars for Best International mm-hmm. Film last year. Um, and frankly, if it wasn't for French Canadian and indigenous filmmaking, we wouldn't really have much of an identity for homegrown films at all. What What are sort of your thoughts on the state of, of Canadian cinema? That's such a shame, isn't it? Because you're right. Like if it weren't for indigenous filmmakers, um, which is slightly ironic in its own sense, yes. <laughs> and then French Canada, you know, also Canada ironic. doesn't really have. Yeah, it's true. It's like we just, I suppose, you know, don't really have an identity past that. But I think that that also kind of reflects Canada as a nation where there isn't a singular identity. Like it's not like, you know, people talk about, say, I don't know why I'm I'm thinking of Sweden, but like people think of like Swedish people as like a, like almost like an ethnicity, like a race. Like, and I know Mm -hmm. that there's, that it's not correct to say that, but you know, we are Canada specifically a nationality, not a race. It's not an ethnicity at all. Um, And so I think that that kind of reflects that where it's like, you don't really have a singular identity. Um, And I think that, you know, for a lot of the English speaking stuff, when you get big enough, you know, you end up going down to Hollywood um, and working there, which is, I can't blame people for doing that. I mean, that, that happens all in every industry, like America pays better. So, and, and there's more access and resources for you to, to take. So I, I get that. It is a bit of a shame though. Cause I think that especially in the comedy realm, like there's so many great Canadian talents out there. And if they stuck at home, you could just imagine like kind of some of the cool stuff that Canada would be able to call their own for the film industry. Um, yeah, it's a bit of shame. Night of the Kings is a funny one. Like I, I think I messaged you and being like, why the hell is Night of the Kings on here? <laughs> and then you, you kind of like look at it a bit closer and go, oh, right. There is like one financing company that is from Canada. And it, it's, uh, I think it's a French Canadian company too, actually. Which makes um, sense. Ivory the, Coast is a, is a French, yeah, of former the, French, the French colony, connection. French speaking country, however you exactly. wish to describe Cote d'Ivoire. Yeah, so it's like it kind of makes it, but it was very weird because I saw Night of the Kings at TIFF in 2019, and I loved it. Was it. A I think it's deal, a great movie. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was an excellent movie, and then I think in the states it got picked up by Neon, and I was like really pumped for it because I thought that's really cool that it got all this, and then like three years later it ends up <laughs> at the Canadian Screen Awards, which is quite funny. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we'll, we'll try to keep this as top level as possible. We, we've previously talked about several of these films nominated. Uh, I think that the easiest way to see a lot of Canadian films is by attending film festivals, where I feel like mm-hmm. most of the ones I saw were stuff either at, at TIFF, at, um, at uh, Vancouver International Film Festival, at uh, Sudbury Film Festival, Hot Dogs, stuff Festival. like that. Canadian yeah. Film Festival, yeah, like they're all those yeah. ones. If you if you attend more than like one virtual or in person film festival, you start to really see the overlap between them, and especially with Canadian films, where a lot of these festivals have a bit of a personal mandate of growing in screening Canadian films. You'll see a lot of repetition between them, so you'll sort of see like, oh, I miss it this festival, I can catch it the next one because it's playing there as well, uh, which is which is nice and helpful. So you can kind of prioritize what you want to watch and, and be able to watch things that that fit your schedule. So it's nice. We're gonna stay a little top level. We'll we'll link to our reviews and stuff in the, that we've done in the past in the show notes. That way, if you want to hear us talk about more, read about us talking about these movies more, you can do so. But let's start with uh, Best Motion Picture. The nominees are Drunken Birds, Night of the Kings, Night Raiders, Scarborough, and Wildhood. Bing, I need you to wake up, please. What's happening? It's not safe here anymore. So we're going to go somewhere where we're safe, okay? Find your dad. Come on, Laura, hurry up! Not those tape. Get your clothes. Only whispers until we get outside, okay? Sylvie, get Mum's purse. We have to find Johnny's health card. Let's say something is wrong with Johnny. Maybe we can find the right supports for him. Can you really afford to add that to the current challenges that you're dealing with? I have seen three of these and you have seen four of these. The only one neither of us have seen is Drunken Birds. And so I think that's pretty awesome that, you know, between the two of us, we can say we've seen a majority of these movies and it sort of helps paint the picture of what Canadian film of the last year was. 
And it's kind of funny that neither of us saw Drunken Birds, which was the Canadian submission to the Oscars. Yes. So according to the Canadians, that that was the best one. And you and I were like, we'll watch the other ones. Yeah, um, which is interesting because I personally, yeah, I guess it's because if it's submitted to the Oscars, it's for Best International Film, which means it's not in English. So that rules out something like Scarborough. Um, and I believe Wildhood would probably also be disqualified. Night both Night Raiders and Wildhood would probably be disqualified as well because English is the predominant language in both of those, I believe. Uh, so yeah, I wonder if Wildhood might get in because they do speak in uh, Mi'kmaq. Uh, a decent they do, amount. I but I, I believe it has yeah. to be a percentage, not yeah. in English. I mean, and, technically, it's only getting its theatrical release this year, so. I don't know. But I I really, yeah. yeah, So, um, but I really like those movies. I mean, save for Drunken Birds, um, all four of them, I thought were really good movies. Like they're not just good for Canadian movies. Like they're, they're good movies. Um, Night of the Kings, I already said, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, probably of the four, I think Wildhood might be my favorite. It's a really good movie. Like it's you and I were both, um, really positive on it after Sudbury um, or Cinefest, sorry. Yeah. Cinefest Sudbury. And we both really enjoyed that one, but Scarborough is also a great, great movie. And they just had their theatrical release on Friday on the 25th of February. And they actually got to go to Morningside and Scarborough and do a Q and a there, which I thought was really, really cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, I've been noticing lots of activity on Twitter about this movie. So every once in a while, I'll, I'll chime in with a comment or I linked my article that I made of my favorite Canadian movies of last year, which includes most of these movies mm-hmm. that we'll talk about today. And, uh, and I keep getting like responses from either the directors or the writer, or I noticed <laughs> that one of the, the kid's father also retweets me every time I tweet about the movie. <laughs> That's adorable. That's yes. so cute. Yes. Scarborough's Scar- uh, a great movie. I'm so glad it exists and everything. Yeah. So I, it's definitely I, I, a movie, I love that movie. Yeah. It's definitely a movie you want to make sure you have a, a box of tissues nearby because it's going to make mm, you feel mm-hmm. a lot of emotions, but it's a great one. And, and for anyone, you know, I guess we could probably do a, a little bit of describing some of these movies. Scarborough tells the story of three young children uh, who are growing up in Scarborough and Scarborough is a neighborhood in Toronto uh, that has one of the highest percentages of immigrants and non-white people living there. So it's a very di- uh, diverse uh, area with lots of interesting culture. But unfortunately, it's also not really funded very well. So there's a lot of low-income housing, poverty, and a whole bunch of issues that should be lo- more looked after by by the various levels of government that is not, unfortunately. And so you've got these three young kids and each of them kind of trying to come into their own and, and feel who they are through this breakfast program, basically, before school run by a teacher at this school who is putting way more effort, time, resources than her school believes that she should. And we get to see sort of the lives at home and how this program changes the the lives for these kids there, uh, mostly for the positive. Some of them, it gets a little tragic, but you get uh, three very precocious and adorable children uh, who you just want to, you know, hug and make sure that they're all nice and safe. <laughs> they are very sweet. Yeah, they are very sweet. And I, you know, I mean, you mentioned the, the kind of the makeup of Scarborough, and I mean, it doesn't have the greatest reputation within the GTA or within, I guess, suppose Ontario as a whole. And and I always thought that that was a shame because it's the starting point for a lot of families that are coming to Canada, like new to Canada, my family included. Um, you know, I don't really, I only know maybe a few people who immigrated to Ontario without living in Scarborough. Um, it's just the place that I guess, because one, it's in Toronto, like it's considered Toronto or at least it is now. It wasn't when I was growing up, but it is now. Um, and, you know, so it, it has kind of the links to the city. And, um, you know, generally speaking, you probably have like a cousin or an aunt or an uncle who was living there first, um, which is why you moved there too. So yeah, I, I like that there's a movie that even though it does show a lot of sad bits of it, it does kind of celebrate that part of um, the GTA and not like it doesn't do like a poverty porn thing it doesn't do anything like that 
which I appreciate as well, because I think it, it more so celebrates the culture that's there. And I think that that, you know, is very worthwhile considering the kind of, you know, anytime something bad happens in Scarborough, they always say in the news, they'll say Scarborough. Whenever something good happens, they'll go in East, the East end of Toronto, um, <laughs> this thing happened. So it's very frustrating sometimes when you see things like that. But um, yeah, it's a great movie. And uh, we both really liked it. And we both really liked like the performances of the kids. And that's never easy either, having kid uh, child performers, because mm-hmm. it's a bit of a hit or miss. But they're so good. All of them were really, really good. Yeah, yeah. The story centers around uh, a young Filipino boy, a young indigenous girl, and uh, and a young white girl as well, and how their cultures and backgrounds sort of impact who they are and how they're being raised is uh, is also a, a key part of the story that helps inform who they are as people too. Uh, another one we talked about is is Wildhood, and that was a movie where I was a big fan of, and, and I know you liked as well too. It's it's about this young boy who runs away from. Uh, his abusive father and takes his younger brother with him. He is uh, half Mi'kmaq, half white, and he is searching for his Mi'kmaq mother. And so along the way, he he meets some people uh, who are Mi'kmaq as well and sort of learned both about his own culture and history and sort of it's also a coming of age story as well where he uh, realized that he's two-spirited. And so it's it's got a, a whole bunch of like you know, this could be just a journey movie. This could just be a coming of age story. This could just be uh, finding your roots story, all this different stuff. But they sort of like do all three together to create something really interesting and unique because mo- more often than not, I-, I really hate coming of age or road trip movies because they're so cliche ridden. <laughs> and and I think for the most part, this movie avoids the cliches by doing something new and unique that we haven't seen before and taking a lens of, uh, what does it mean to learn about your indigenous history when you've been forcefully uh, told to hide it, basically? And there's a movie out um, or a documentary that I've been talking about, which is Flea, um, which does something kind of similar in terms of it isn't just, I mean, not to say it's just one note, like only it's only a refugee story. Um, but it like it incorporates a lot of different aspects to life, which I think just helps you know, it helps flourish a movie and a story that much better because it's it's just more three-dimensional, I suppose. Um, so I really liked how Wildhood mixed all of those, you know, multiple aspects together, as you said. And also, I want to point out, the soundtrack for Wildhood is amazing. I really, really like the soundtrack. And they have some <laughs> really cool needle drops, like, throughout the movie. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of Jeremy Dutcher, and I'm a big fan of Jeremy Dutcher. Uh, but yeah, this is a, a very interesting one. Um, we'll, we'll move on to some of the other categories and we'll talk about some of the movies as well. Best Direction, we've seen three of the nominees and that's the the direction for Night Raiders, Wildhood, and Scarborough. You got Danny Goulet for Night Raiders, Bretton Hannon, Hannum for Wildhood, and Sasha Nakai and Rich Williamson for Scarborough. And, and so it's nice to see those three movies there. The other two nominees were Anthony Scott Burns for Come True and Philippe Gregory for The Noise of Engines, which are, are two movies I'm not actually very familiar with. I mean, neither. Not at all. But yeah, I, I like that Danny Goulet in particular got a shout out. Like she's been um, a name that if you're kind of into like Canadian film, she's been around for a little while as an actress and like behind the scenes. I know she worked for TIFF for a while too, actually. So um, it's really cool to see her getting some recognition for, for her film. Yes. And, and Night Raiders is a movie that I think we both agree that has a really, really interesting concept. This, this sort of reimagining of residential schools, but in a sci-fi dystopian future, uh, it starts off really strong and it's got some good performances, but it, in the end it kind of is let down by the weight of its own ideas, I guess is the best way to explain it. Yeah. It's, it's a decent movie and I, and I think people will probably enjoy it, but I, the originality at the beginning doesn't sustain it all the way through. And I, and I don't really know else how to describe it. Yeah. It's a tricky one because, you know, I know before you went to go watch it, I told you, I was like, I think it's fine. Like it's a good movie. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever say it's a bad movie. Um, It's a good movie, but it just feels like there was a missed opportunity somewhere in there. Like there could have been, it could have been like a great movie. Like it has the bones to be something really, really amazing. 
Um, and it just kind of fell short, but it's funny. Like, you know, you can't really, I mean, I'm sure you could sit down and like nitpick and, and really cut up the movie and tell, say exactly why we think it's, it could have, or where we think it could have been improved. Um, but generally speaking, it's like, I can't really put my finger on what it is that I would have been like, oh, this would have been great. It's just, I guess it's just, I mean, it's hard to stick the landing of movies and something as ambitious and interesting as this. It's I, I don't know. You, they put in so much work maybe to the front end that it's, it's tough to wrap a movie up like that, but you know, it's a good movie. Like you said. Um, yeah. But we both just kind of wanted it to be a bit more, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like maybe a bit of the issue is there's quite a large MacGuffin in this movie where yeah. they're trying to get to a safe zone that may or may not be real. Uh, and, and the, the main character, they, they need her to lead a group of recently freed children who have been broken out of this, uh, military school, basically to the safe zone, uh, in exchange, they will help get her daughter out. And then that whole plot line is just kind of dropped, ignored completely by the end. And so it just sort of feels like you spent about half the movie talking about this and then it's just sort of sidetracked at the very end where it's like, oh, that doesn't matter anymore. And so I think that's kind of a bit of an issue for me is is you can't really build up something so much just to completely ignore it. Yeah, that's fair. That's really fair. Like maybe there's just one too many threads that they're trying to pull together and, um, you know, eventually something has to kind of give. But you're right, like something as big as that you're left feeling, I guess, not satisfied with mm-hmm. what the conclusion was. Yeah, that's fair. But uh, let's move on to some of the acting categories. And I think uh, Best Actor is one that uh, you probably have the, the most to say about because you've seen four of these and I've only seen two of them. So if you want to kind of share your thoughts on the Best Actor category. Um, right. So for Best Actor, um, Rogelio Balatas for Islands is nominated. Um, I apologize, I'm going to mess this pronunciation up, but Pavel Semerich, Semerich um, for The White Fortress, Liam Diaz for Scarborough, Philip Lewitsky for Wildhood, and Thomas Antony Olajid for Learn to Swim. So Scarborough and Wildhood, we kind of talked about already. Uh, Liam is um, the little Filipino boy who we both really loved. Is that who's, whose dad is um, retweeting your stuff? No, it was not. Uh, it was uh, oh. the, the white girl's dad. Oh, <laughs> I thought it would be so cute. If it, yeah. I don't know, I really, yeah. So Liam, Liam, <laughs> Liam Diaz, he um, plays Bing, and he's kind. I mean, yeah, he is the lead character in that. It kind of it focuses on him and um, his mom, and he does such a great job, and he is adorable. Like that does really help. That he's just so super cute and has very, very cute cheeks as well. You just want to squish him. Um, but yeah, he did, he really does a great job beyond just being a cute kid. He actually does a really good job um, in the film. Thomas Antony Olajide for Learn to Swim. So Learn to Swim is, I would c- call it like a very vibey movie, um, if that makes sense. Like it's a movie that it's about, it's about the downfall of a relationship and it talks about the, kind of all the baggage that you bring into a relationship from whether it's your home life as when you're growing up or past relationships as well. It's a good movie. It has, um, like I said, a nice vibe to it. I always like, I I don't know if, does that make sense to you as a genre, like a vibe movie? Yeah. 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 So it's, it's great. And uh, Tyrone Tommy, he directed it. Um, I think it might've been his first movie. Yeah. It was his first movie. And, um, Olajid, he plays the main character in it. He plays the, 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 the male in the relationship. Um, he's great. He's really, really great in this. And I, I was pretty happy to see him, um, get nominated because yeah, it was, I don't, it's not a, a tough performance per se, because you're playing kind of a young man who's in the throes of growing up and heartbreak and all those kinds of things. Um, but he does it so well and he does it really well within the context of, the film and, and really plays to like the jazzy vibe of the movie. Cause there's a lot of um, music and a lot of jazz that's incorporated into the film. Um, Rogelio Balatas, he won an award at South by Southwest for islands. Um, I believe and that's where you saw best... it too. Yeah. I saw it at, at um, North by Northwest, South by Southwest. Um, I saw it there and he, I believe he won like best emerging artist, maybe something like that. 
Um, but Islands is about a middle-aged man who lives with his parents and he's, he's essentially the caretaker for um, his mother who eventually passes away. And then he has to look after his father whose health declines quite rapidly after his mom passes away. And it talks a bit about, I mean, the whole film is basically an exploration of a man who kind of didn't take life by the, what's a nice way to say them by the balls. Like he just didn't (laughs) grab life. He didn't, he didn't really embrace life in the way that maybe we think we need to. Um, He was always just kind of the dutiful son who went to work, came home, you know, and, and looked after his parents, uh, but never really had a life of his own. And, you know, there's, there's moments of him being lonely and, uh, but also moments of him, you know, finding new relationships and friendships and, it's a movie that also talks about a lot about the Filipino uh, experience outside of the Philippines. So it, there's a really, really moving scene actually that talks about uh, the, there's a female who is uh, his cousin and she was working as a domestic worker in the middle East. I believe it was Qatar that they named. And, you know, it talks a bit about the experiences of those women and what they go through. Cause it can often be, quite sad and quite um, traumatic for them. So it's a great movie that shows off a lot of Filipino culture, which is, a you know, we talk a lot about Asian cultures um, sometimes, but Filipinos kind of get shafted a little bit because they are Asians, but they're also Pacific Islanders. And sometimes I think they don't get as much um, shout outs as they should because they have a very rich culture themselves. Um, and Rogelio, he's very good in it. He's He's quite like, He's very quiet and he's very demure in it, but that's exactly what you want in the film. Um, so yeah, he's, he's great. And like, I, it's really cool to see he's older. And so it's nice to see somebody kind of later in life getting this kind of recognition in not just the Canadian screen, but you know, in, in the uh, South by Southwest and you know, the film's done pretty well across um, film festivals from since last year. Nice. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's move over to actress where, uh, where we've seen two of the nominees. Um, we'll, we'll sort of just start highlighting the ones that we, we really want to talk about here. And that's, um, Ilya Kinani from Scarborough, who was the teacher. Uh, interesting that, that she got uh, best actress considering I would put maybe one of the kids there considering they considered yeah. Liam Diaz, the lead actor. And I would say that she was definitely a supporting actress, supporting in this movie uh and then the other one was um el magi tail feathers for night raiders and she is the the lead in that film and it's interesting she actually is nominated elsewhere in this because she directed a documentary that you saw that we'll uh, end up talking a little bit later called the meaning of empathy so yeah this um I won't really talk about the Scarborough performance because, yeah, it's 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 very much supporting. I feel like it's in the wrong category, so I'm not too sure how it got there. But yeah, Night Raiders. It's a it's a great performance by Tail Feathers um, as a mother who is trying to like the the point of this movie is that uh, children, all children, have to go to state school, which is basically an allegory for residential school because that was set up for indigenous people where their children were literally ripped from their homes and forced to go to uh, school to be assimilated into white culture. And then uh, once they were done school, they would hopefully have forgotten their entire history and language, family, all this sort of terrible things. And then they could join the white workforce, basically. So that's the the metaphor that Night Raiders is going to, where it's not just indigenous children who are being taken, but all children in general, sort of to show, hey, you know what? It would really suck if everyone lost their children, wouldn't it? This is what indigenous people all had to go through and suffer through. So it's sort of this, uh, maybe you need to think about it in uh, the possibility of it being your own kid before you care, which is, you know, total BS. But that's... That's unfortunately the the world that we live in. And so she plays this mother who is trying to protect her young daughter from being found by these sentient robots who find children and alert the police who arrest the kids and put them into this prison school system, basically. And so she she ends up losing her daughter and then finds a group of, uh, of Cree people who uh, are breaking kids out and returning them to their homes, basically, which is also something that happened during the the time of the residential school period. 
And so it's a very interesting sort of, you know, typical sci-fi dystopian movie, but a, a very strong performance by a woman who uh, is grieving the loss of her child and trying to understand what the world is, sort of. Thing. Moral come. Who lives here? The city went dark after the war. No one can see your face. No one. Is that a child? No, oh, no, it's okay. See? I was beginning to believe that my boy was the only free one left. So moving on to uh, some of the other ones, I'm very excited to talk about supporting actor because uh, my boy Mark O'Brien for The Righteous was nominated <laughs> for this. Very, very happy about this. Um, you also have Joshua Ojik from Wildhood and Esteban Komalang from Islands. So uh, I, I can't talk about the Islands performance, but I will talk about Mark O'Brien and The Righteous. Love, love, love this movie. And uh, I am super disappointed. It's not in basically every category. It should be in Best Picture. It should be in Best Direction. It should be Best Actor and Actress. All of this sort of stuff. And uh, it only got a few nominations, and I'm and I'm very angry about that. You'll probably hear me uh, praise this movie a lot more on a future episode, maybe the best movies of last year, which we still haven't done. But uh, yeah, Mark O'Brien sort of plays this character of you don't really know if he's real or not. What's going on? Is he who he says he is? Is he a figment of imagination, of grief, of pain? Is he the devil himself? All this sort of stuff, which is very interesting on a script that he wrote in a movie that he directed, but I'm glad he got recognized for his performance. I'm with, I, so I didn't connect with the righteous as much as you did. Um, but like objectively speaking, it is a good movie and I'm surprised that it didn't take up more, space on this uh on on the nominations like i thought it would be at least screenplay i know we're going to get into cinematography because that should be or um, production design those you know technical ones that they should have been in there because it is a really well put together movie but i'm happy for mark o'brien like i think it's he was very good in it and we were just before we came on here we were talking about um him because evidently we just can't stop talking about mark o'brien these days um but it's just saying like he's been in so many things and he's had a like a lot of of really big roles um which is pretty cool so yeah i i'm i'm with you on the uh justice for the righteous huh that's actually very (laughs) good do you have anything to say about uh, about the performance from Ireland or anything else in this category? Oh yeah, I mean yeah, Esteban um, he plays the father and he's he's very good. It's a, another one. It's one of those like it's a very quiet performance. Like Islands as a whole is a very quiet movie, um, which is a nice contrast actually to Mark O'Brien's turn in, in The Righteous because he's much louder and and more uh theatrical i guess is that like a fair assessment of his performance um whereas everybody kind of coming from the islands it's a very a very quiet film and very quiet performances but they're very effective um which is so again happy to see them in there uh same with joshua ojik in in wildhood he was very good yes i agree with that one too uh he's uh the young mcmog boy who mm-hmm. takes uh the main character under his wing and they end up falling in love as well so a uh, great performance there yeah, we'll, we'll kind of go through some of these other categories a bit quicker. We've got supporting actress. We've got Cherish Violet Blood in Scarborough, Kate Corbett in The Righteous, and Gail Maurice in Night Raiders. Um, I'm a little surprised that Kate Corbett got nominated here, considering yeah. it's, it's a very small one, and it could be, it could have been maybe Mimi Kuzik, who I was very disappointed didn't get nominated either in actress or supporting actress but uh cherish violet blood is uh is the one of the mothers in scarborough and she does a great job where she we sort of see what the home life is like for someone who is maybe living uh below the poverty line and what they need to do to keep their family alive and and safe and that includes you know trucking her disabled husband across the city to get doctor's appointments, to figuring out how to get food on the table, figuring out who she can borrow from, who she needs to help out, all this sort of stuff, who can help her take care of her kids, all this sort of stuff in the the day-to-day life of someone who literally is like living day-to-day. So I think she does a great job with with that role as well. I really like her in it. She shows a lot of the like – the frustration and struggles as well that a mom goes through, like any mother I think will go through. Like there's just moments 
in the day of you just don't want to put up with the shit from your kids. And uh, I don't, I'm not a parent, but I can probably really relate to that. <laughs> like I think any of us could that it's just so, so I think she did a nice job of, of showing a lot of different facets to her character, not just being, you know, like, you know, like you said, the, the living day to day thing. I mean, that's a very important part of her role in the film, but um, she also does a great job of just showing kind of the, the reality of um, being a mom and how difficult it can be. Yes, I agree. Uh, now we can kind of like go through if there's any specific nominations you want to give a shout out to. Obviously, in original screenplay, big shout out to The Righteous, Mark O'Brien getting that. Um, you're you're going to hear me talk about this movie a lot in, in the next little while. Um one movie that I was a big fan of that barely got any nominations was All My Puny Sorrows, which got a nomination in Art Direction Production Design, which is a little bit interesting for me. And a little disappointing that The Righteous didn't get nominated there as well. Suffering is something that is passed on from one generation to the next, like flexibility, grace, or colorblindness. How's the writing going? Terrible. Do you think I've peaked? That I'm already on the downside of a largely forgettable career? I see you haven't lost your flair for melodrama. Oh, for you, all right. Yeah, I'm fine. Your your sister. She tried to kill herself. I really enjoyed All My Puny Sorrows. That was a very interesting one. Movie starring uh, Alison Pill and Sarah Gaydon uh, as two sisters who are, are struggling with their their family's history of depression and suicide uh, in a very funny movie, which. I would not say that if I was not serious, but yes, there is times that this movie is quite funny. <laughs> Do you think either of them should have gotten like an acting nomination? I know we haven't seen all of the nominations under the acting awards, but like, were they, were their performances kind of award worthy, I suppose? Oh, a hundred percent. I was, I was yeah. definitely surprised by Alison Pill. I, you know, I've, I've liked her in several other things, but I've never seen her be a lead and be such a commanding lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but okay. you, you really could have picked you know, half a dozen performances in all my puny sorrows because it is a bit of an ensemble movie. And that sort of leads into casting where, uh, this movie did get nominated for, for, for casting, which is interesting. So the person nominated for casting is the casting director, which, you know, reflects, uh, who they end up bringing in. So mm-hmm. it's, it's almost basically like a best ensemble award, sort of like SAG gives out. I would sort of, uh, relate it to, and I would agree. It's got a very, very strong, uh, ensemble cast so I'm very proud of it I'm also proud that uh, Scarborough got nominated for casting as well because that's also a, yeah. a, quite a big ensemble cast and a difficult movie to cast as well like I, I mentioned it briefly but you know when you have your film rests on three child actors that's quite a hefty burden to place on them or hefty responsibility to place on them because like they're kids so you know no matter how good they are they're still children and um so it, I don't think it was an easy, it wasn't an easy film to cast and they did a very, very good job of it. And I also want to shout out the Canadian screen awards for even having a casting category. Um, yeah. I think that it's, it's a category very much so worth shining a spotlight on. And while the American counterparts down the, in Hollywood are removing certain ones from their telecast, I think it's cool that like Canadian screen awards recognizes um, certain categories that aren't all always um, celebrated. Are there any other categories you sort of want to give a shout out to? Um, there was one movie that I really enjoyed that I watched at the Canadian Film Fest last year, and that's uh, Between Waves. And it is a science fiction, I don't really know how to describe the movie. It's a science fiction, psychological thriller. Um, it's about a woman who lost her partner. It's directed by Virginia Abramovich and it's fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Like if you like sci-fi, I think it's a really cool movie to kind of dig into. Um, and it got nominated for original score. And I thought that that was really cool because the score in it is really, really impactful and it really elevates the rest of the movie, um, which I think that sometimes in science fiction movies, you really need a good score to just kind of, ground um i guess more high end themes that aren't necessarily in our reality so i thought that was really cool they got nominated i would have liked to see them get nominated for something like cinematography as well maybe and like maybe production design too because i thought um that was very 
worthwhile. And then another one that you uh, mentioned, which was the feature length documentary category, and that is the meaning of empathy. And that is for anybody who hasn't seen it. And I've been telling you see it too. It's amazing. It's such a good documentary. It is about um, so Tail Feathers, she's from the Blackfoot community in southern Alberta in the uh, Kenai First Nation. And it talks about the substance abuse problem within that community and what they're trying to do to get, you know, to get especially the youth, but obviously everyone's included, to get everybody kind of on the more straight and narrow. And it's a heartbreaking documentary, and it really goes in depth about how substance abuse can not just affect individuals, but their families and the community at large. Um, she does an amazing job putting this that documentary together. So in my opinion, that is probably the surest win that I could see um, in the in the Canadian screen, because I really think it's it's a documentary that it's probably one of the best docs that I've seen in a really long time, to be honest. And it's, it's pretty amazing. So I would highly recommend, you know, getting your, getting your paws on that one. Cause it's a really good one. Nice. And speaking of that, uh, movie nominated a few categories, Paw Patrol, the movie. You know what? <laughs> I always forget that that's Canadian and <laughs> I, I won't lie to you. So I think it was cause Paw Patrol, it came out what last all or something like that and i got an email about it and they said something about like canada's greatest export and i was like what the hell are they talking about and i looked it up and i went oh shit yeah paw patrol's canadian uh something i didn't know but i love that that's canadian because i think that, that it's such a you know it's a cute show for and movie slash movie for for kids and i don't know any of my friends whose kids don't love it so it's must they must be doing something right paw patrol too good for them of course <laughs> uh yeah um yeah i think i think that's kind of a good overview we didn't talk about every nomination or category it's going to be a lot of repeating in the same sort of stuff the some of the the most nominated films were scarborough and night raiders both had 11 nominations they led the pack all my puny sorrows had eight drunken birds had six so did wildhood the Righteous had three, Islands had three, The Meaning of Empathy had three, and Night of the Kings had two. I didn't include all these movies. Those were just sort of the ones that I, I picked and chose. Obviously, Scarborough Night Riders did have the most out of everyone, so that is notable. But yeah, those were those were most of the big movies. And, and I think we did a pretty good job of seeing the best that Canadian film had to offer this past year. And I'm really proud overall of what was being produced. And, and I can't wait to sort of see what's coming up this year. Like... We love going to film festivals, and it's a great place to watch this stuff. And unfortunately, if you miss it, it's kind of a little bit tricky unless you're like knowing what to look up on the iTunes store. Yeah. It's, some of these movies are hard to find. They don't really always show up on Netflix. They don't show up on Crave. They You might get lucky, and they'll show up on CBC Gem or something like that. But that's about it, really. They'll have a limited the theatrical release where they'll be in you know, the 15 biggest Canadian cities, and they'll play for two weeks, and that's about it. I mean, I'll say even Scarborough, that's a, it's been a pretty big movie in Canada this year. And um, it played at Morningside on the 25th, Tiff Lightbox, I think maybe two, I think just on the 25th. And then I think a few other places around Canada as well. Um, sorry, I don't know all of Canada. Obviously, Toronto is the only important city in this country, isn't it? Um, but <laughs> it's. Um, but I know that it, there's, they're also doing some screenings. I saw Saskatchewan has a screening on like March 11th. But the point is, like, even a movie as big as Scarborough, um, that's not even getting two weeks. It's just getting like a single day to show at Tiff Lightbox. You know, not everybody can get to Tiff Lightbox, so it, it is a bit of a shame that. Um, it's it is a blinker you'll miss it kind of thing and you know I, that's why i was saying like the streaming service that they had proposed initially that could have been such a good you know outlet and a good platform for these kinds of movies to just throw them on there and have people watch them and i mean cineplex is the one doing a lot of those screenings anyways so yeah it would have been really nice but you know say love you what are you gonna do yeah for sure but uh we're going to go back to Oscar coverage next week in the next few weeks, actually. But uh, you can, uh, I hope people check out some of these movies that we talked about. It'll be, be really nice. I'd love to hear some feedback if you've seen any of these already. Rachel, what have you been working on and where can people follow you? Before I answer that, other than The Righteous, did you have a favorite of all of the, the kind of the Canadian films that you saw? I know you did the list, but like of the ones that were nominated, 
Minus well, if you right check out my list that I'll link in the show notes of my top five Canadian films of the year, uh, all of them were nominated for the Canadian Screen Awards, which is a huge plus. I would probably say well, The Righteous was my favorite. After that, uh, probably All My Puny Sorrows and then Scarrow mm-hmm. would be my top three. Nice. I think I would what go Night of, the, Night of the Kings, Wildhood, Scarborough. I think those would probably nice. be my three. Yeah, I really like those. Um in terms of what I'm up to, uh, oh, speaking of Canadian stuff, go check out LOL Canada. Laugh, last one, what was it? Last one laughing? Yeah. Last one laughing Canada on Amazon Prime. Um, I did a review for that for Exclaim, but just in general, go and watch that show because it's quite funny and people it's seem really to really funny. Enjoying. I've watched the first yeah, two people- episodes and I like cry laughing when I'm watching it. <laughs> oh, the, I think the next two already came out this week, didn't they? I'm yeah, behind, they're yeah. They're doing drops every week, which is um, pretty cool and goes against what I said in my review because, yeah, I'll throw up and say that I was wrong in my review, um, but <laughs> uh, I, I was wrong. Like, I kind of thought the show started a little slow and it did for me. Like, I, I guess I'm not wrong. Like, in my in my opinion, it did. Um, but everybody seems to be really on board with it. So I love that. Um, but yeah, so there's that. And I did an interview with a Canadian folk singer, Kaya Cater, and she did the music for a new CBC show called The Porter, which is on Mondays on CBC. And then it shows on CBC Gem after that. And that's a worthwhile TV show to check out as well. Um, but I really enjoyed talking with Kaya and we had, um, and I'm pretty happy with the way the piece turned out. So that is on Exclaim as well. And I'm going to plug one more piece, which is um, friend of the show, uh, Bill Antonio. He does monthly Criterion Channel kind of wrap ups of different um, collections that they have. And this past month in celebration of Black History Month, they uh, he chose to focus on Harry Belafonte's movies. So I wrote a couple things in there. Um, but yeah, check all of those ones out because he does a really great job of pulling together a lot of the because there's a lot of stuff on Criterion, so he does a great job of kind of streamlining and focusing on different collections. Bill, this is the only time we're going to compliment you on the show. <laughs> I will always compliment you, Bill. Don't worry, I got your back. Damn it, Bill! I really like you too, and you're a great writer too <laughs> and movie critic. Ugh, it just it just pains me to to, to compliment <laughs> you. Uh, but you can follow this show on uh, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And if you've seen any Canadian films this past year, whether they got nominated for the Canadian Screen Awards or not, let us know your thoughts on your favorites. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there too. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.